It was about a week and a half ago, and uh, Pastor Jeff reached out to me and asked if I would preach this morning. And, and I said to Jeff, I said, um, is there anything specifically that you want me to talk about? Give the man a little bit of focus, a little bit of boundaries. And he said, no, Doug, honestly, whatever's on your heart. I said, no, Jeff, seriously, what, what, what is it that you want me to say? He said, Doug, we just come off an incredible sermon series and we're about to go into a new sermon series next week and I would encourage all of you to come back and uh, as we continue to walk and look specifically at how you can develop a heart like God's and Pastor Jeff will be leading through that sermon series and he said but in between right here Barrett you go wide open I said wait you just told me to go wide open he said yes sir I said I want to make sure I have that on record before I do it and he said absolutely Whatever the Father lays in your heart, I want you to share. So I began to pray. Last weekend, we had a beautiful weekend down at North Myrtle Beach. And as you know, I uh, love baseball. I had the opportunity to coach with Jeremy last weekend. And it was just incredible. And Kelly and I decided to extend it a couple of days. And, and um, on Tuesday morning, no, I'm sorry, Monday morning of this week, um, my daughter, my, my oldest daughter, who's eight, almost nine, Jordan, she woke up early. And she knew that she could find daddy out on the balcony praying and and reading. And when she woke up, she came out and she said, dad, can we go get coffee and take a walk? I'm like, man, that is a girl after her daddy's heart. So we found Starbucks. She got her double chocolatey chip frappuccino at 6.05 in the morning. I got my grande, sorry, venti confession, pumpkin spice latte because it's back and fall is here. And we drove down and, and we parked the truck and we went down and we started walking the beach. And quite honestly, she was the only person there under the age of, you know, 45. And I was the second only person under the age of 45. And we're just kind of walking hand in hand, daddy, daughter. And um, as we were walking, I, I'm sure that you've had this experience. You just kind of walk along the, the seashell line. You know what I mean? And uh, the tide is low, so the, the tide's going out. And, and I just kept walking along the seashell line. And I noticed that Jordan would pick up a piece and put it down, pick up a piece, put it down, pick up a piece. And I'm looking for the perfect shell. I mean, perfection only. And there's a reason for that. Because I've got my pumpkin spice latte in one hand, and I've got her hand in the other. And I am not about to let go of either one of them. So I'm just kind of walking along, and she's picking up pieces, and... And um, she's like, Daddy, what about this one? Daddy, what about this one? I'm like, man, baby, that's just not, no, what, what about this one? No, baby, that's just not the one. And she looked at me and she's like, why is there all of these broken pieces? Anybody else get that four by four upside the head? And I just... Church, why are all these broken pieces around us? I mean, there were millions of seashells on that shoreline that day. And we probably walked a mile. And it was just this vast sea of brokenness. And I wasn't watching Fox News. I wasn't watching CNN. Charlotte hadn't even erupted yet. What do we do, church? 
How do we respond to the injustice of our day? How, how do we respond to the violence? How do we respond to the brokenness? How do we respond to the devastation? What does the church do? And those are all the questions that start coming to my heart, bubbling up. And I'm so thankful that thousands of years ago, there was a man who wrote a book out of a vision that God had given him that was captured in the eternal word for us to dive into today. It's a book that I imagine that many of you haven't looked at recently. As I told Jeremy last night, I said, you know, we're going to look at Habakkuk. He goes, who? And I said, well, you probably know him as Habakkuk, right? Some people know him as Habakkuk. Some people know him as Habakkuk. And he looks at me and goes, why not? (laughs) So we're going to look at a minor Old Testament prophet, the entire book, this morning in a half an hour. Are you ready? Turn with me to Habakkuk. That's the way I pronounce his name. And there's a couple of things right from the start that we have to talk about. Because if you see that in the book of Habakkuk, flutter the pages, find Matthew, keep going to the left, Zechariah, Haggai, there is Habakkuk. Habakkuk. In chapter 1, it opens, and it simply says this, that this is a message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Pause. Big stuff right off the bat. First and foremost, this is not Habakkuk or Habakkuk's message. I want to make that crystal clear. This is not something that Habakkuk decided one night in the middle of an ocean walk or on the balcony to write down and say, hey, this is the word of the Lord. No, this is a message that the prophet Habakkuk received from the Father in a vision. Now, there's a couple of things to understand, and and I want you to take notes, right? I know that you're not filling in blanks, and they're not going to be on the screen, but I just want you to journey with me for a little bit, because a prophet is someone who is divinely inspired, which means that God gave them the authority. The second thing is, is that a prophet is someone who is divinely commissioned, which means that the Lord gave this prophet leadership Not only responsibility, but along with that authority to speak to God's people. Please hear me that this is not my message. The greatest compliment that I've already received this morning is that Doug wasn't speaking this morning. I pray that you do not hear Doug Barrett today. I pray that you hear the word of our eternal, living, resurrected Lord, God Almighty Jehovah. Because he wants to speak to you today. So let's pray and get ready. Father God, I come before you. And Lord, I thank you so much for your gorgeous creation. Father, I thank you that we have shorelines to walk and shells to examine. And Father, moments with coffee and daughter in hand that, Lord, you speak. Father, I think of Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 that says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Father, I pray that you would break our hearts today. Father, I pray that this time would be a time of encouragement. That this would not be seen as a time of 
you coming against us. For, Father, we know that your word says that you are for us and not against us. So, Father, open our eyes, open our ears, open our heart. And, Father, as you speak to us now, that we would leave this place transformed, recalibrated forever. It's interesting that in verse 2, Habakkuk begins by talking about this vision and says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Y'all, this is more than 2,000 years old. I hope that you know that this is an eternal word. Amen? If it's an eternal word, this message to God's people is as relevant today as it was then. Amen? Do you not see the same thing that Habakkuk saw? I mean, his land was full of violence. There were grievances and there were injustices, not between believers and non-believers, because we have to remember that this is before Jesus. This is before grace was poured out on the cross. This is before God declared and demonstrated his love for us while we were still yet sinners. This is prior to Jesus bleeding, hanging, dying, and rising again. So we need to understand that this is not non-believer pinned against believer, follower versus non-follower, you know, not Israel and Israel. What Habakkuk saw is the same thing I see today. See, the arguments and the grievances and the injustices are between family and friends. Communities and cities, officials, many which have been elected or appointed in the citizens of their jurisdiction. There's a disagreement and injustice between the commerce and the courts, nation pinned against nation. It does not appear that Habakkuk wrote this book out of personal conviction. This was not something that that he was confessing of a personal sin or, or a personal agenda. This was a vision that God gave to him that he actually believed that it was so real that it already happened. And so it's interesting to think about the day in which we live. See, the nation of Israel was broken It was divided into parties and factions. There were men and women biting one another's heads and warming their hands over fires that would devour people. It's interesting that there was also defiance over administration of law and justice. That the righteous were being condemned. That the wicked were being justified. 
And it wasn't happening privately or secretly. This is happening in the public space. And I'm still not talking about October of 2016. It's interesting that in my translation, the New Living Translation, it says Habakkuk's complaint. See, the church complaining is not a new thing. I'll say it again. The church complaining is not something that's new. This is an ancient response to injustice that's taking place. So how was the debate? Were you like Kelly and I that vowed we weren't going to watch it? And then all of a sudden we found ourselves enthralled in the entertainment of two arguing platforms, right? Policies. Details, non-details, agenda, non-agenda, agenda, non-agenda, right? This lobbying back and forth. Can I just tell you right now, I'm going on record. This is not a political sermon. I'm more than willing to talk about politics. But here's the deal. We need to understand that this is all beyond politics. There is absolutely no hope in the Republican Party. No amens. There's absolutely no hope in the Democratic Party. The hope is who we just sang of. The name that's above all names. Amen? Jesus Christ is our hope, church. If so, why the heck are you sitting there like this? Put a smile on your face. Brokenness hurts, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I am sick of seeing these injustices. I am sick of the righteous being condemned by this world. I am sick of my kids having to turn their face because of an H&M advertisement on television. Anybody else seen it recently? Broke my heart. Kelly and I were watching TV last night with Jordan. I had never seen the advertisement before. I don't watch a whole lot of TV unless it's ESPN. And it's interesting because as soon as Kelly saw that the advertisement, come on, we have a little policy in our family, blinders. And all the kids go like this. And then you see the baby going like this. Cracks me up, right? But she's got them so trained that if we're going to sit together in the living room and we're going to watch a show together, whatever that show might be, that our kids know that there are boundaries to what they're going to see. And when mom says or dad says blinders, they all close their eyes. It breaks my heart. Never did I think that's what we would be doing here today. Surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. And Habakkuk cries out and he says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you don't listen? Have any of you ever said that before? As an earthly dad, I need to confess to you that there are oftentimes, and my children will give testament to, that they talk to me and I don't listen to them. 
I'm a dad. I'm a man. I'm a human, right? I'm not fully divine. And sometimes it's because I'm distracted. Dads, let's be honest for a second. Sometimes my kiddos come up to me and I'm on my phone. I am reading something on an app. I am working in the office because I work out of the house. And they come up and they just want to talk to dad. And guess what? I don't give them the time of day. Why? Well, because they ask 2,000 questions every minute, don't they? Please hear me. That's an earthly father's perspective. That's an earthly father's issue. That is definitely not our heavenly father's problem. Just because God doesn't speak doesn't mean that God's not listening. See, God's not distracted. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't respond to them because Kelly and I are having a conversation, right? And we only get like five minutes a day to talk to one another. And when I'm focused and I'm talking to my wife with four little kids running around, right? Whenever I'm talking to her, sometimes I ignore them. That is not the case with God. God is not so enthralled in a conversation with somebody else that he doesn't hear your cry, that he doesn't hear your prayer, that he doesn't hear what you're saying to him. The beautiful thing is, is that God can hear it all. How cool is that? That's comforting to know that whenever I get on my knees and I pray, at the same time that you pray less, he hears both of us. How is that possible? I don't know. Someday, when you and I are sitting on the front porch of heaven, rocking in those rocking chairs, eating some barbecue. By the way, there will be barbecue in heaven. No matter what the Jews say, there's going to be barbecue in heaven. Because God says that all good things are going to be in heaven, right? It might not be 521 barbecue, but there are going to be some good barbecue in heaven. And when we're sitting there having our hush puppies and drinking our little sweet tea, you and I are all of a sudden like, oh, dude, that is so cool. You can hear all things at all times. That is a really cool reminder that I'm not God and neither are you. That should be comforting too. So it's interesting that God is not distracted. It's not that he's not listening. Even though whenever Habakkuk's crying out, the Lord's not speaking to him. And he says there's violence everywhere. But check this out. All of a sudden, after this probably repeated cry, all of a sudden, the Lord speaks. And I'm going to read what he says. Look around. Oh, yes. Finally, he has spoken to the church. Finally, he's speaking to God's people. And he says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. Yes. Man, I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear what he has to say. For I'm doing something in your own day, something that you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, you're not going to believe it even if somebody tells you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Wait a second. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. I'm raising up a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and they will conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping cactus. I'm telling you, I'm just reading. I'm not 
adding anything at all. Sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes. They scorn at their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth up against their walls to capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. How about that for some encouragement? Well, this is why we don't read the minor prophets in the Old Testament, Doug. Really? But, circle the word, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their little g, God. How cool is that? God just said, hey, look, here's what I'm going to do. Guys, I heard you. Habakkuk, I've been listening to you. I see all this destruction, this violence, this evil, this misery. And here's what I'm going to do. Tell my people that I'm going to raise up a people, a nation, an enemy that's going to be cruel and hasty, bitter and fierce. I'm going to raise up people that are violent and furious. I'm going to raise up a a person, a, a people, a day where they don't listen to the wise counsel, but they listen to the counsel of their day, where they're forceful in their passionate pursuits, where they persevere without resolve to accomplish their agenda. They show no mercy. They spare no pain. They are strong and they are formidable. There's no standing before them and there's no fleeing from them, meaning that there's no way of escape, church. They are a terrible and dreadful people, ravenous people, like wolves in the night who have been starving all day. And they live by one principle, That their will is their law. I'm going to say that again. I thought it was good. I wrote it down. That their will is their law. Think about the attack of the laws in our country today. Think about the attack over this whole absolute or moral truth that we are facing today. It's amazing that the Bible is crystal clear on God's truth, isn't it? Yet we won't turn to it as such. See, pursuits and passions ruled this enemy's focus rather than the laws of humanity or reason or equity or conscience. It's interesting that often When God's people are divided against one another or bickering between each other or there's grievances inside the church, that if you look back historically over the Old Testament, God would raise up an enemy that would drive the scattered church to oneness and unity. You see it over and over again. Church, this is so relevant to what we're dealing with today, isn't it? So relevant. Look at how Habakkuk responds. He doesn't say, are you kidding me? I thought you were a God of love. I thought you were for us and not against us. That's not how he responds. Check out chapter 1, verse 12 in Habakkuk's second complaint. He says, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you don't plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock. 
You have sent these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, to correct us and to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure, and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Oh, Lord, my God, the eternal one. Do you know that in this world, we will not experience peace? Sorry. This world is broken. Well, at least it has been since the garden. See, wickedness and injustice and evil and misery are all because of this tiny little seed of sin that is a part of this world, isn't it? How quickly we forget that our life, for those of us that believe in Jesus, was controlled by that sinful nature, by the cravings, and the lust of the flesh, by the cravings and the lust of our eyes and of our minds. This morning I read a little bit in Jeremiah that the heart is the wellspring or the source of all evil and misery. How beautiful is that encouragement? Why? Because sin is a part of our life. It is in our heart when we are born. And out of that sin comes this injustice and the grievances and and all of these things that you and I are reading on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, watching on political debates, whatever it might be. So how does the church respond? It's a great question. You know, I don't know about you, but um, not just because I work for BGEA. And uh, my goodness, I've got one of the greatest jobs in the entire world. But I love to get Decision Magazine. I don't know if you read last month's Decision Magazine or not, but it was an incredibly clear just article after article after article about the political situation and the, and the agendas that we face and the platforms in which we have a choice to vote on it within the next 40 days. And I pray that you would exercise your voice and you would get out and that you would vote. But this week, I picked up our newest one that came out yesterday. And I always love to find Dr. Graham's article. You know, this article right here of Dr. Graham's was actually published, I believe it was in um, 1966 is the picture, but I think it was like back in 1994 whenever Dr. Graham wrote this article. And it was interesting because in here it said, Dr. Graham saying, the world will never know permanent peace until the Prince of Peace rules from his righteous throne. I'll say it again. Nobody wrote it down. Nobody blanked. So I'll say it again. You write it down. At least write down Dr. Graham's words instead of mine. The world will never know permanent peace until the Prince of Peace reigns on his rightful throne. Jesus, knowing the hate, the jealousy, and the greed of the human heart, predicted that there would be wars, rumors of wars, until the end of time. You can read about it in Matthew 24. It's written in red if you have a red-letter Bible, because those are Jesus' words. 
He knew that sin ruled in our hearts. And it was the source of the evil and the misery and the wickedness in which we are seeing and dealing with today. Boy, Doug, this is so encouraging and I'm so glad that you came to preach. And as Habakkuk responds, he says, Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are eternal. Church, can I share something with you? Violence is going to be done against the church and violence is going to be done by the church. That's a given. But their God is not my God. Their God is not my God. It's not your God because we worship a God who is holy, who is perfect. The one and only true, living, perfect, providing, protecting God. That's who we worship. That is not their God. They so want us to believe it's the same God. But I am telling you right now, church, the Bible says that there is only one God and that there are many little G gods that are ruling this day. And until the one Jesus comes back to this earth, we're going to be dealing with brokenness. There's only one God. And you know what breaks my heart? Is that as I talk to people, They are so worried and they are so concerned. They are so saddened and burdened with grief because of the day in which we live. And I'm like, come on. Are you kidding me? We know the truth. Jesus is coming back. Amen. And it's interesting because as soon as Habakkuk does this second complaint and he talks about all these things that surely... Jesus does not plan, or God does not plan to wipe us out. Check out chapter 2 really, really quick. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord replies a second time. Habakkuk, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner, a messenger, can carry the correct message to others. Please hear me. I haven't finished the message yet. Don't you dare turn off. If you turn off right now and you don't hear another word I say, you got the wrong message. How many times do I see this and hear this in the church and in my friendships and relationships that they pick this one portion of the scripture out and tune out to the rest of it? And I would just want to say, dude, you got the wrong message. Because you need to hear the complete word of God in order to get the correct message that he desires to give. So check this out. The vision that he gave Habakkuk is for a future time. And it describes the end. And it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. If it will not be delayed. Pause. Kelly and I, Whenever we were going through some situations with our son, Jackson, that I've already talked about, it was interesting because back in 2009, we were kind of in this land between this, this time that we were looking for a home. We knew we were called to Charlotte, but we were waiting for Jackson to be born, and we weren't sure, so we didn't want to leave his surgeon, his doctors in Pittsburgh, and we didn't know any of you all at that time. I'm just telling you that right now. And so in 2009, I got a phone call in the midst of this land between, and the realtor that was trying to help us find a home in Pittsburgh said, Doug, just remember 
that God's delays are not God's denials. Do me a favor. Do not write that down. That is false witness. He said, God's delays are not God's denials. Do you hear the false truth in that? God never delays. God is always on time. Galatians 4.4 says that in the fullness of time, he sent his son Jesus to the earth. He didn't wait or delay 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. No, God showed up at right exact precise moment if you are sitting and you are waiting and you feel that God is delaying guess what you're dead wrong God never delays he always delivers on time always I've talked to so many that are like Doug why has Jesus not come back why is God tearing guess what I don't even think God's tearing He's still seated on his throne, it says in Isaiah. He is still sovereign. He is still in control. And guess what? At just the right time, guess who's coming back again? Come on. That gets me fired up. That wakes me up at 4 o'clock in the morning. That gets me on my porch to pray for you. That gets me the opportunity. I don't need coffee to do this, although coffee's really good. Church, do you not realize That we are a chosen people. That those of us that know Christ know the rock in which God has built his church. And as long as this world exists, guess what and guess who is going to be in it? The church. How many of you gambled last night on the Clemson game? Oh, there's no confession of sin. If I were a betting man and I'm not, I'm putting it all on the church. Because the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for his church. And if he's coming back for his church, guess what? We're going to be here whenever he shows up. Here's the really cool thing and why this is not a complete message yet. Because it says this. Look at the proud. This is God speaking. Verse 4. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. And their lives are crooked. Guess what? He's not talking to the church anymore. For the church are those who believe, that have repented of their sin, who have bowed a knee, who have humbled themselves, who have surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not proud anymore. doesn't mean that I don't struggle with moments of pride and arrogance in my own life. I do, and this is the beautiful thing about Scripture. It kind of like, woo, there it is, Doug. Their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. You might want to underline that. That is the second half of verse 4. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Do you think it matters how we live? Yes or no? Does God care what we do? Kelly will tell you that a couple of weeks ago, I, I came home from a breakfast meeting. And I was distraught. I don't know if you've ever had one of these conversations where you just can't let it go. Where you have a conversation with somebody in the church who starts to talk about the fact that it really doesn't matter how we live. It really doesn't matter what we do. It really doesn't matter how we parent or how we love our wives. No, I am sorry. God does care about how we live. God does care what we do with the talents and the leadership abilities that he has given to us. Fathers, husbands, listen, you're the spiritual leader of your home whether you want to be or not. 
And he cares about how you're living your life. He cares what you're looking at. He cares what you're doing with the finances, or at least he does in my life. If you go to 1 Peter, quickly, man, I am fired up. That 8 o'clock service got me going. By the way, it was my fault that y'all were late. Guess what? 11.15, by the way, there isn't 11.15, so 11 o'clock service. They don't show up till 11.15 anyway, so we've got time. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13. Please hear that God cares how you live. It's a call to holy living, a righteous living. It says, they think clearly. Those that live a holy life, a righteous life, they think clearly. They exercise self-control. They look forward to the grace of salvation that will come when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. He hasn't been done yet. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't you slip back into the old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then when you were controlled by your sinful nature. But today, now, you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. He cares how you love. He cares how you live. Last night, Kelly and I were watching Hitch, that unrighteous movie that you all have watched with us. And Will Smith, and I love the character of Albert Brenneman. Obviously, I'm, you know, kind of, he's kind of a role model for me and all that good stuff. And we love to dance together and good stuff. But if you've watched Hitched and you've seen that movie, you know that after the date doctor is revealed, everything comes crashing down, relationships fall, and all this terrible stuff happens. And Albert Brenneman walks in, Mike, and, and he kind of looks at Will Smith Hitch and he says, what do you got for me? Will Smith, the character of Hitch, says, I got nothing. I can't fix this. And Albert Brenneman says, to you, love is a job. To me, love is life. You're going to write that down. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. To you, love is a job. How many Christians do you know? How many people inside the church that loving somebody, loving their neighbor is a job? It's a task for us to check off. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are to love because it's our life, Jamie. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to be people of love. And the way in which we love, the way in which we live, will allow the unbelieving world to look at our families, look at our marriages, see that they are different, and believe that God sent Jesus. Can I get an amen? Am I the only one that's sweating this morning? So how do we respond to all this brokenness? I don't know if it's breaking your heart the way it's breaking mine. But Habakkuk gives us an incredible example. And I'm going to encourage you to go and to dive into this because I've just skimmed the surface. And in chapter 2, verse 1, see, I skipped it. Some of you noticed. Habakkuk, 
before the Lord replies a second time, telling him of the day that's coming, that there is a day, there is a day, church, that Jesus is coming. It hasn't happened yet. It's a day that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. There is a day of deliverance from this evil, a deliverance from our misery, a deliverance from the brokenness and the injustice, but it hasn't happened yet. So what do we do as we are waiting for the Lord's return? I don't know about you. I hate to wait. I hate it. But guess what? That's where we're at. And Habakkuk gives us a beautiful example. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Church, here's what you do. I'm telling you what to do. Yes, I believe that this is what God wants us to do as we are waiting for Jesus' return. He wants us to climb up. You know the best way to climb up? Break your knees. I'll say it again. The best way to climb up and to see a new perspective, to look up, is to bend a knee in prayer. If you want God's perspective on something, pray. And then he wants you to stand guard post. See, some of you remember the the pictures of Dr. Graham and the stadiums of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. And even today when Franklin or Will are preaching, everybody will be bowed in a picture. And everybody, you can see the little bald spots on top of their heads. And then all of a sudden, there's two or three dudes that stand up while everybody's praying. And these dudes are typically like 6'3", 6'4". They're built, they're strapped, and they are looking around, protecting the church. Dads, again, Sorry, bust your chops. It is time for us to start protecting our wives. It is time for us to start protecting our children. It is time for the church to not only look up, but to start to look around and start to encourage one another. I don't know about you, but as a father, one of the things that I love the most is to see when my kids get together and encourage one another. That's the father's heart. That's God's heart. He loves the fact that we've gathered together. He loves it when we get together and encourage one another and pray for one another. That puts a smile on his face. I hope you feel that smile this morning. But there's a third thing. Not only do we look up and we look around, but it says that he sat and he waited patiently. Because guess what, church? It's time for us to look within. It's time for the refining fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives to begin to look at our lives and to correct our course. See, God raised up a people that were cruel and violent so that the church would be corrected. He is a God of love. He's a God of justice. And he is a God of judgment. That's who we worship. So this morning... I, like Habakkuk, want to encourage you to pray. Don't you dare miss Wednesday night. Be here to pray. Our nation is in trouble. And if you can't, I want you to bend a knee wherever you are. Last night, I guarantee you, Deshaun Watson did not throw a Hail Mary at the end of the game. What does the victorious team do? They take a knee. See, our stone is not speechless. Our stone, our rock, spoke 
when he, resur- when he res- was resurrected. Our rock speaks today, church. And it's my encouragement that you would be encouraged to know that God is for you and not against you. And there is coming a day that has not been seen yet when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So you climb high, you look around, and you begin to look within. Where do you need a course correction and to recalibrate your life in the way you live, in the way you love? Father God, thank you for this time. Father, thank you for this extended time. Lord, it's amazing to me that 85,000 people will pack a stadium and stay as long as it takes. And Father, yet here we are, broken before you. Father, this is your church. These are your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to them now, that you would encourage them now. Father, as they walk from this place, Lord, that they would know that you are for them and not against them. Father, you spoke when you rolled the stone away. You spoke victory, deliverance, healing over your people as Jesus bled and died. And on a third day rose again and he is seated at your right hand. And Father, we look forward to the day when he returns. But Father, I know that there are many in this room under the sound of my voice, Father, that don't yet know you. Father, I pray that today that you would speak to them, that you would break their heart. Father, that they would become part of the victorious team, that they would not have to live in fear of the violence and the injustice and the grievance that we experience every day here. But Father, that they would live with a righteous holiness. Father, because you called us to be holy for you are holy. And Father, that you poured out your Holy Spirit upon us and and is now filling us. And so Father, our love and our life is not a job, but Father, It is a deep desire rather than obligation. And Father, that they would know that freedom, that they would know the liberty of a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. So Father, if there's anyone in this room today that has never confessed their sin to you and trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that they would pray with me now that Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. My heart is, It's the source of the evil and the lust and the sinful nature of my life. Father, the misery, the captivity that I've been living in. Father, I lay it down at the foot of Jesus who went to the cross in the justification of my sin, who paid my debt, who was my ransom. And Father, I believe that on the third day he rose again. And Father, that the sanctification of my life, the growth in my life, Father, the change in my life is what you desire. And that, Father, one day he's coming back. And Father, if anyone has prayed with me, Lord, that you would speak to them now, that you would encourage them now, that they would walk back to the connect room, they would meet me at the American flag, they would grab the hand of the person beside them, for, Father, you will smile upon their life. And Father, thank you that we are broken vessels. Thank you for your amazing grace. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.